the digital transition. Digital Transition, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies, where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrandt, and today I'm talking with Clifton Harness from TestFit about the power of parametric design and how it can assist in the feasibility and design phases of project delivery. But before I talk to Clifton, I need to talk to you about our exclusive podcast sponsor, NBS. NBS Chorus is revolutionising construction specification with cloud-based collaboration. Integrate seamlessly with your building model, allowing you to increase productivity and reduce risk. NBS Chorus allows you to specify your project in UniClass 2015, which is recommended by the Queensland Government BIM Data and Information Guidelines, as well as the Victorian Digital Asset Strategy Guidelines and mandated by Transport for New South Wales. To learn more about NBS, head to their website, www mbs.com.au. All right, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us today, Clifton. It's a pleasure, man. Now, firstly, um, we've caught up a couple of times virtually and I look forward to the point in time when um, international borders and travel enable us to uh, catch up and face-to-face and have a beer together. But for the listeners that aren't aware of who you are in your journey, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Uh, I am a co-founder uh, of a AEC tech startup called TestFit. Um, we are based in Dallas, Texas, uh, and we have been in business for about four years. Um, and you know, a significant amount of the multifamily units uh, planned in the United States go through our uh, software ecosystem. Uh, so I'm not going to give a percentage because it's a little bit terrifying, uh, but I can tell you it's a significant amount. That's, that's, that's something small to say, but before you started in software, where, 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 where's your education? Sure. Uh, so I went to uh, the university of Texas at Austin, got a bachelor of architecture, uh, which in the U S is a five year professional degree. Lots of studio. I mean, I was really focused on becoming a, a licensed architect. Felt like that's what you know where I wanted to go, and went into internships. Uh, started to kind of see a, a really big disconnect between people, product, and and process um, in architecture. So, like the the people were were always incredible. Like I, I never worked with a single person that I didn't like working with an architecture that's a positive uh, the products the, the products were, were great like the, the buildings that, that we designed were were excellent um things to be proud of you know um but there was a disconnect in process uh so uh you know for example like i would institute like write a, a simple lisp routine like to to solve like a red line across 300 sheets you know like like execute that uh, and then I would be told that I need to go home cause they didn't have any more work for me that day, you know? So like there was like, I was de-incentivized from, from innovating process because it was terrifying, you know, Oh, this guy uses a Lisp routine. That's insane. Why would you ever touch CAD files with software? So 
that, that perspective was, was, I don't know, a perspective. Like I just, I loved architecture. Like I was willing to, to go into it and I really wanted to understand like private development in the U S because I felt like I would, if I were to be an architect, like I would want to do buildings that, that would affect a lot of people. And in my mind it was like, that was like apartments. It was like housing. It was, you know, the commodity stuff. Um, and so I worked for a real estate development uh, shop in, in Dallas uh, that did design. Um, they were vertically integrated design, build, develop company. Um, and that was like an absolutely absurd uh, job to get right out of school. Like nobody gets that job um, being a site planner, you know, for this company. Um, so I was in my early 20s site planning uh, multifamily buildings and, uh, started to understand that the process problem was also true in real estate development. Um, and also in the construction company that we were working with. And, you know, it's like, you just sort of look around and you're like, wow, (laughs) we've been focused on the assets, but not in the process to create the assets. Like that has not been a part of the discussion whatsoever. Um, And so while I was there, I instituted a lot of automation tools. Um, When I left, they had to replace me with a team of, I think, seven people. Um, (laughs) One person to seven. That's a a compliment, isn't it? Well, yeah, you know, gave me no budget and told me to do everything, right? So it was a welcoming experience to me because it gave me the vocabulary that I needed in order to disrupt the entire process. Uh, and so where we started was with, with the deal, uh, focusing on a deal. Um, and this is different from a project. So, you know, oftentimes you have a project, there's a contract sign, people know like where money's coming from, uh, in a deal, everybody's doing it at costs. Like you're just trying to figure out site plan, pro forma, construction costs, you know, you're trying to get everybody on board for those three things. And, you know, that's, that's really where we've been focused on solving the problem at TestFit is, is in that, in that realm of the process. So it manifests itself in a building configurator, which is, you know, what most people know us for is the, you know, the gifts of, of buildings that are, you know, basically living, breathing documents. But the reason why it's a configurator is that everybody needs to be able to change parameters in that project stack, not just the architect. So there might be a unit mix that's really important to developer that maybe the architect doesn't really need to, to have their hand on. Um, and democratizing the, the input of that information to more kinds of people has been quite disruptive to the process uh, in a good way. Like we're getting more deals done uh, more quickly through TestFit than we were before. Uh, and more importantly, the worst deals that, that we're going to architects to get, you know, flushed out in SDs don't even make it to SDs. They just get killed. That's a positive. Uh, so you're, it, yeah, I mean, you're, 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 you're increasing the productivity of the whole process uh, just by setting the deal up for success. Now you've just touched on the concept of a, 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 essentially a, a generator that TestFit is, but um, TestFit's reasonably new and it's only reasonably new, I guess, in the sense of for, for software uh, vendors out there. So you're still in that kind of, uh, it might be rude to say startup phase, you're probably in the next phase, you're probably past that first, um, the, 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 the bad challenging part where everyone's struggling. <laughs> the fact that you're saying that there's a rather substantial percentage of uh, family units or multi-unit apartments as we call them here in Australia that that has been used, has been developed through your your platform. 
Um, for the listeners that possibly may have missed that kind of or don't understand half the terminology behind what you've said before, can you just explain about test fit, you know, um, in, a, in a kind of a broad manner and 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 the history that you have is that as a product and a, and a, and a business because that's a it's a it's only you know four years old, isn't it? I think yeah, we've, we've talked years. about before. Just talk briefly about, I guess, the history yeah, of so TestFit and, and, and what it does. And I guess it was born from your realisation. And I think the really interesting thing that I take from all of this and, and all of the exciting people I get to talk to on the podcast is is that a lot of the people that are developing some really incredible software are people that are frustrated with um, what they're doing in their day-to-day jobs, drop architecture, drop engineering and, and, and jump in and, and do something new and exciting. So let's, let's you know, we've, we've heard about it here on Brisbane, in Brisbane here in Australia before, but for people that are listening that haven't seen you present before on, on your tools, what is TestFit? Yeah, sure. Uh, so as I was alluding to earlier, it's a configurator. And when we started, you know, the first initial release that we had in 2017 was a tool that you could draw a property line and it would generate uh, a rectangular parking garage with multifamily units sort of all around it, right? And, and this is a wrap typology. So in, in the U.S., you know, we have, I don't know, 30 probably multifamily typologies and 8% of multifamily buildings in the U.S. are these wrap typology. Um, and wraps are super annoying to draw because you might have 90 different stacks of units and they're super annoying to count all the units uh, to then confirm that you have the right number of units and you have the right unit count uh, compared to your parking ratio and your parking count. Um, so that was the initial configurator was like, how can we just generate this thing? So we're on a target, like we're on any kind of target. And that quickly grew into the podium configurator that's got, you know, more of a structure uh, to it and the ground floors. And then there's, you know, a tower on top and then the lower density configurators like Gerben, which is like a surface park tool with much higher density uh, building, you know, really in the U S it's all about like, how are we mitigating or how are we handling parking versus what is the layout of the building? And so there's low density housing, which might look like single family homes or duplexes or, or townhomes, um, you know, the duplex configurator is the same as the townhomes configurator, except you just don't have a, a gap between the buildings, right? Like it's much more dense. Yep. And so we, we, we codify all these concepts of like what a housing unit is and these different orientations, codify them into software, build the software around it. And it's, it's a generic solution to a, you know, point problem. And a lot of people have this point problem of needing to understand how many, you know, units you can fit on a, on a piece of land. And that then generates um, the value of what they might be willing to pay the landowner for that land. Yep. 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 Yeah. They're, they're always trying to back into the, okay, how valuable is this land? You know, cause you're, you can only get a certain amount of rents and hard costs are, are relatively the same uh, compared to, you know, this site and across the street site. So what is the land seller, you know, willing, how, how's the land seller willing to move? And that's, you know, not typically in the U S would an architect be involved in that discussion, but their unit plans or sorry, their site plans are used to value land. So their, their site plans are incredibly useful uh, to the development process. So you'd be probably finding what a few real estate agents possibly, or, or, um, entrepreneurial people that want to try and make deals and, and partner, um, you know, find land for 
a developer or developers might even um, be utilizing your tool? Yeah. So we have um, our three big customer groups are developers, architects, and general contractors. Um, It's, it's about neck and neck uh, with development and architects. um, And then a, a, minority is the uh the general contractors yeah but the contractors are, are very rarely the ones that are bringing a, a, a property development to market like it's a unique scenario unlike your you know all the way to market design real estate and build in one in one hit not there's not a lot of there are a few of them out there but there's not a, it's not yeah, a it's not a general so business model there is there is a tranche of general contractors that are incredibly active in pre-con and oftentimes it's it's not just like a gc it's like they've hired architects to help them manage the the pre-con process um, because they can save money in the long in the long haul just by being more clear about what is in a building versus what is not in a building from the get-go so i'm pretty excited about seeing more sort of pre-con control in the, in the deal phase. Like I think it'll lead to more informed decisions about hard costs, um, which right now industry-wide hard costs is incredibly opaque. Like nobody, nobody knows what anything costs. Like you ask, even if you ask a pre-con guy that just got done pricing something, Hey, like how much is that same thing that you just got priced cost now? And they would have no idea. Right. Yeah, well, I think that I think the challenges here and, and here in Australia, and I don't know what it was like in the US through COVID, but here in Australia, uh, construction prices have gone through the roof. Real estate has gone through the roof in terms of costs and and prices. Uh, the escalation has been in- incredible. So I can understand how that it makes it hard because each of the subcontractors are essentially the ones that control the prices for builders. It's not the builders themselves. But that could be a whole podcast in itself, and I probably should get yeah. a QS. I should, should get a QS involved. How, but how to how to how to you know have the technology revolution in subcontracting? Like you know that's going to be even bigger to the process than BIM was, and I, there's not a whole lot of movement in that direction. Well, even even the manufacturers and suppliers, it's almost it, it's it's a sad thing, but it's almost possibly like you know the supply and demand with the share market, right? So. Today, concrete's worth this because we've got our plant sitting doing not as much as we normally do. So we'll sell concrete cheaper here today than we will in a week's time because we've got too many people ordering it that same day. That's a scary right. thought, isn't it? But I don't <laughs> don't well, the, don't, the, don't get any the, ideas the and try is, and change your product. <laughs> the the market is becoming more clear, right? Like um, thirty years ago, you know, if you're going to price out a deal, right? Like it's not going to change a whole lot. Like some guy doing the bit, like he, there, there wasn't technology that's firing off, you know, APIs to request pricing from X, Y, or Z. Like it's much faster now in parts of the stack. Um, and I think what we're after in the long haul is to, to be able to support like a real time pricing environment where like the subs trust what's in the model um, the developers, everybody trusts what's in that single source of truth. Yes. And I, that single source of truth is not going to be a Revit BIM model. Like it's just not. So we need to create a, a system that actually works for the whole stack. Now, before we get too distracted, I'm going to pull us back into, into, into line. And 
one of the things that I try to do with the podcast is to try and assist the people that are listening to it to understand different terminology. And the reason for that is because there's a lot of good marketers out there that um, spin buzzwords, I guess you could say, make people think that things are doing things that they're not. And then we end up with uh, uninf- well, you know, semi-informed people coming out saying, I'd like to have this, please. Now, I'd like to dig into a bit more detail as we go through our conversation. But before we go down that path, it'd be good to understand or get an explanation from you about what your belief is in the terminology and the differences between, say, parametric design and computational design. Ooh, all right. So I am from Texas. Uh, I'm a very simple person. I mean, <laughs> like I like I see a thing and it means a certain thing to me. Um, so, you know, like like I I don't think you're gonna get like the Webster's dictionary. You know, definition. Uh, we don't need me, that. But it's it's more about like, what what does industry see yeah, it as? Yeah. So, all right. So parametric design is is when the the thing being designed is driven not by like your hands. It's driven by a number or a formula or something that uh, has taken some kind of intelligence from the user and embedded it into uh, that tool. Um, And so what that could mean is, you know, for like I had a boss uh, that walked up to me and basically told me, the recipe for how we're going to do windows, you know, on this building. And he, uh, explained that we need two units of glass for every, uh, bedroom and three units of glass for every living room. Um, so essentially what, what he described is a parametric constraint for, for how, like how units of glass are going to be allocated, you know, across this building. Um, computational design is actually figuring out how to take those units of glass and mathematically place them across the building, you know, from a, you know, from a 10,000 foot view. Like, so, so one is, is the idea that things should be constrained and the other is the idea of actually implementing those constraints. That might be how I break it down. You know, there's a lot of fluff, uh, you know, there's generative design is another one. Like this is this fallacy that, you know, you can plug in all of the constraints of a building and like you click a button and then it just like the machine knows how to find the best solution. Like, you know, we're already doing generative design right now with everybody. Like the, the GC has an idea of what the cost should be and what materials you're going to use. Uh, and so you have goals and you have constraints and you're doing it in real time, like with the people around you, like it would make more sense to me to do like generative design, like from the like whole OAC, you know, perspective, as opposed to, we just want to make like the biggest building that can fit inside this zoning envelope. Cause that's not always the best building. Like sometimes nearly always that isn't the best building. Like that's something that takes up a lot of space, but it wasn't very easy to build because the envelope is super complicated and, you know, X, Y, or Z. So, uh, you know, that's generative design. And then I use the term configurator, but basically like we call ourselves a configurator because we don't want to be, you know, tossed in with everything that's called generative design. Cause we're not like we solve 
a site plan and given the user's constraints and we give them one and we let them optimize, you know, to what the right solution is for, for everybody. You know, it's, it's a fallacy, I think, to hand over the building design process to a machine. Like you, you just can't, there's, there's, I, we have the most constraints in a configurator on this planet right now. TestFit does, you know, for, for one building typology, high density multi in us. Uh, we have the most constraints and you don't want more constraints. Let me tell you, you don't want more. You want to let the architect make good decisions with the good, like the constraints we have, and then let them do co-creation, you know, work with the machine to make, make it a better solution. Now, one of the things I want to touch on is generative design, because it's my, you know, over the years at, at many have been conference and you probably would be experiencing the same in the U S they, they, these lovely marketing people pull up on table and say, look, here's a thousand options for you to check and, and, and this is what this can generate. Here's all of these options for that fit these parameters and what, it's what dead you might on find arrival, exciting. man. You're telling, you're telling the whole building design community that loves, guess what, designing buildings that you're not going to design buildings anymore. Yeah, I, mean, I know. That's why we all go into the profession the, to not design, right? What's much more compelling is co-creation, which yeah. is like, we're going to let this machine do the boring shit, like counting stalls and, and solving the unit mix and, you know, all the things like the life safety stuff, we're going to let it do that. And I'm going to focus on massing. I'm going to focus on the narrative for like what this site is and what it needs to do. Um, and that's what we've been successful doing is, is co-creation. Yeah. Now for people that aren't aware, I guess, of what we we're trying to talk about there was, Generative design typically will push out or output, you know, maybe a hundred options for a designer to choose upon based upon the set of constraints that they've applied to it. And uh, the sad thing about it is, is that it takes um, the architect or the designer, you know, a very, very long period of time to then sit there and analyse against each one of those uh, options that has been outputted to determine whether or not it's of any value, and there's a really some really good um, articles I think from Dr. Daniel Davis around that <laughs> in regards to how generative design is dead or doomed to fail. And I think it's a, it's there's some really good concepts about that, and it's and it's powerful for people to realise that you know some of these ideas that come out, you know, have a lifespan. Um, BIM won't have a lifespan. BIM will continue on for those that are naysayers. But generative generative design, I think, the, definitely the logic, has a place the to logic die. that is BIM is never going to go away. Like you've yeah. spent twenty years, billions of dollars investing into like here's what a wall is and here's what a door is and like here's how these things relate to each other. You know, like th that's super valuable information and a super valuable tool and ecosystem to have. Where I where I think the future of BIM is is like me being able to control BIM operations from test fit so that like I end up with a good clean BIM model that others can reference, but I don't want to have a BIM model that's created by like an architect manually drawing in every single wall. Yeah. Like the algorithms can do that pretty effectively. Um, and they can make sure that, you know, the orientation of every wall is correct and they can make sure that the, like it's constrained in the right way. And, you know, like I think we get to model-based delivery because we let algorithms handle a lot of the detail. Um, and I know that's a crazy thought that like an algorithm is going to be drawing all the walls and stuff in the future. But like, I think that's what needs to happen in order for model-based delivery to be, you know, to be the thing. Um, 
And it means so that we're like focusing you, on good things, right? The architects get to focus on 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 more value adding propositions rather than doing the mundane. Yeah, yeah. Like like job the job that I had modeling as a, as a, as an intern was you know it was a two million square foot hospital, and the the job was to place these plastic wall guards on every single corner. You know, like every single outside corner of a wall that ha- occurred, and so you. You're like, oh wow, this is going to be a long task, um, and I did it. I manually did the whole thing, and As now when I look back on. I'm sure, I'm, frankly, I'm sure I missed a lot of conditions. Like I'm sure I did, uh, because it's just there's so there's two million feet and there's 17 floors and you're one intern and you know every time I place a, a wall guard, the whole model has to like regenerate and I got to wait and you know it's it wasn't like super fast but then again this is like 2014 auto you know revit so it's maybe faster now maybe that's the wrong platform see i'm an architecture so (laughs) but let's let's not stop that it's like we gotta we gotta we gotta get more archicad users in the u.s you know i think that would be helpful oh it's 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 neither here nor there but what you're talking about is performing tasks that essentially are prone to mistake because as a human we're doing something we have a we have a a a, a process where or a, you know essentially a condition that we need to meet and if there's something that can automate that process then it'd be better to do it because the sad thing will be is you'll place those those corner guards in and inevitably someone would then change the design on you and when they're changing the design they wouldn't they because their role wasn't to place those corner guards they'd forget right and, right. and well, well the, the the proper solution in my mind is like okay we need wall guards so that means that hey model anytime that there's an outside unguarded corner place a wall guard there and like let the designers move things around all they want and then they're done moving things around then the model just updates yes like it just like you don't even have to worry about it it's just there yes like that that's the kind of uh innovation that we need out of our software in order to take architecture to the next level is like, give us smart modeling tools that, you know, follow a, a logical, you know, path. And, you know, like we're going to keep doing that at TestFit. Everything's going to be parametric, you know, it's going to be generate edit, right? That's, that's the model is generate edit uh, export um, as opposed to edit export. That's the innovation is we're just starting not from nothing. So normally, my my thought process was is that at this point in time, the the concept behind TestFit or any other other tools regarding you know parametric design concept you know all that sort of stuff. Apart from when you start getting into other scripting tools like you know Grasshopper and Rhino, is that the the substantial amount of value at this point in time is obviously in the feasibility phase, and. Are you seeing if and, – and the way in which your tool works is it takes your site, you plug in the constraints based upon s- certain local regulations and then start tracing and stretching and, and identifying how things would fit. For those people that aren't involved in – on that side of the fence, they're the, they're the client. They're the, they're the one that is engaging a professional to identify this sort of thing. So going back to your real estate um, mm. developer days – how long would it take you to essentially manually um, work through a process to see how much you could fit on a site versus 
you know, the uh, I don't want to kind of, you know, the the half an hour to one hour process you can use your tool in. You know, that's that's kind of where it's yeah. gotten to. Yeah. So so like I would there's a couple of things you can consider. To to generate one manually is like an eight hour exercise. Yeah. You know, and it depends on what that deliverable needs to look like. You know, if I need to have 3D, if I need to have you know, more expanded tabulations that include unit mix. If I need to have like my parking garage drawn with, you know, the right, you know, I, I have a ramp and my ramp is at a six, you know, 6% slope. Like it depends on what I'm showing. Right. It um, could be a week. If it, it, <laughs> right. Like, like if, if my goal is to get a set ready to go so that it can be priced, which should be like what every architect's goal is. Like I need the minimum viable pricing set in concept. Um, you know, that's an eight hour exercise really to do it well. Mm. Um, you, uh, unfortunately have a situation in AEC where the guys doing the site planning are also the guys, uh, you know, running everything. Um, so they don't like, they don't have time to put in their, put their best foot forward on every single site plan. Um, and that's another thing that like, like real estate, you know, they're, they're, they're going to start demanding more iterations, especially when pricing is so weird. Um, so you have to have a system to respond quickly. So, uh, on the first one test, it's about a hundred times faster, um, getting everything done. Uh, but if you need a second iteration and I'd wager that nearly every single one does, uh, you're looking at, you know, a thousand times faster. So, it really just depends on, on the problem. You know, is it, is it a building that Tesfit's really good at generating, you know, then it's a slam dunk. If it's something that we're not that great <laughs> at doing and you have to like use more of the manual tools to, to get it in a shape that, you know, is, is what you want to send to a, an owner, um, you know, then you spend more time on it. So that, that makes it a clear, a clear winner in terms of, people being able to embrace that because then it's a quicker process. And and one of the things I guess that we you could have touched on, which we didn't, it was kind of fixated on just time in terms of that one thing is, you know, the challenges sometimes that someone could actually um, miss a whole pile of cars that they possibly should have remembered to do because we're <sighs> sitting there remembering yeah. this is what yeah. we have to have on this project rather than software reminding us. Yeah. The number of times where like you would have a site plan go out and the tabulations being completely off, you know, I would say maybe 10%, 10 <laughs> of site plans are inaccurate, if not more. And like, I don't know, with TestFit, we use the same exact algorithm to tabulate everything every single time. So, you know, it might not be like the perfect tabulation, but I can tell you that, you know, any scheme and test fit compared to any other scheme and test fit is an apples to apples comparison. Yeah. Like they, they are derived of the same math. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I guess that, I guess that then comes to my next question and I have to, and in, in Australia, I'd normally um, use some different terminology, but I'm trying to keep my podcast as a PG rating. So we don't have oh, sure. uh, expletives in here, but you know, the challenge, the, the, the normal statement is uh, uh, if you put crap in, you get crap out. Right. So yep. um, that's where I think it's it's kind of an important thing to understand there is that as long as the information and the and the rules are right, then the outputs are going to be good. And the challenge with most people 
is say, for example, we take other tools where you've got to kind of start from scratch. Um, and like even generative design, you have to start from scratch in the sense of telling it all the rules. If you don't actually right. – the challenge for most people is, is you've got to remember to actually incorporate all of, the, all of the rules. If you don't incorporate all of the rules and you're one or two rules short from what's really required, then the output's actually wrong. Isn't that great? <laughs> It's, it's, but, but I guess that's the, it's like, it's like, it's like, uh, in generative design, like, oh, if I could only make the perfect constraint environment that I could get the perfect building out of it, you know, it's like, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about like, what is a good enough building to start with? And that's like our barrier for success. If this, this site plan generate, you know, if this new industrial thing generates a site plan that is like good enough for someone to get an idea. Oh, that's great. It's better than what we had before, which was I have to pick up a phone. I have to call an architect, wait for him to have time to, you know, draw my site plan for free. Okay. Uh, he draws it. Okay. Now it's back. And it's two weeks later and the broker already sold the land to somebody else. Um, so, so architecture, you know, like you can make yourself invaluable by, having an instantaneous feedback loop with that developer, or they're just going to, you know, start adopting this technology and doing it know. themselves. Yeah. Doing it themselves. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, and I guess it's probably premature for an Australian audience, I guess at this stage with where you're at. But I guess the key thing being is that the takeaway is, is that there are, that people need to start to think about and understand the opportunities that, you know, or sit down and assess the processes that you're currently doing day to day in your job and, and think that, you know, maybe there might be options for automation to make life a lot easier for yourself. Now, I think the conversation will be really exciting here in Australia with the, the product and the tool that you have in the, in two years' time as as if, if the trajectory occurs in the way that you hope it does and, 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 and I'm looking forward yeah. to that happening. And, and seeing how that, I'm, that pans I'm, out. I'm confident that the trajectory is headed in a direction that will please a lot of people. And I'm, I'm very humbled to be able to say that. Yeah. <laughs> like you're, you're talking to me after four years of literally like, you know, it's, it, we, we, before the show, we were kind of talking about, um, you know, what it's like to, to, to go from zero to one. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm like a, like a rabid dog, you know, just like finally get from zero to one. And, and then, uh, you know, then now I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, I don't know what to do with myself. Right. Like there's, there's a moment of, of pause and there's a moment of, of dreaming and a moment of, of figuring out what the future is. And, you know, the last time I remember pausing was like four years ago, you know, so this is we're we're headed in the right direction. No. And, the one question I guess that's really important to to kind of before we close out our chat today and and this is the one thing that I love when it comes to talking about BIM and automation and and I've got my views on this but it'd be good for the audience to hear what your th- thoughts are on this and, you know, being in the business that you're in and, and thinking into the future and, and I like and I love talking to people that think far into the future about what opportunities actually lie out there but where do you see the future for um, parametric computational design um, generators and the, my best component of that is will it spell the end for architects <laughs> no it won't yeah I know. um <laughs> like yeah it's just 
that I hate that question, right? Like it's not going to be for architects. Like there's, there's going to be, you know, like as a CEO, the buck stops with you, you know, it's like, okay, architect, the buck of, of the built environment is still going to stop with you. Like you're still going to be the one taking the professional risk every single time a new building is, is coming up. So, uh, I wrote a blog post on LinkedIn called architecture brain drain, uh, architecture firm brain drain. And it was like, 2018. I was a young man when I wrote it, right? Like it's been three years. It was a a while back, but, um, in it, I, I said something along the lines of like, in the future, you will see, you know, like a structural, uh, engineers algorithm, you know, working with an architect's algorithm to solve a problem together. And, uh, we were able to last year build a, uh, API with, with Thornton Tomasetti, uh, that basically like queries them for, structural column sizing. Uh, so we send them an analytical model and they send us column sizing back. Uh, so that's an example of, of a software company working with a, a soft skills professional company on incredible, you know, workflow. I don't see the future of architecture any differently. Uh, there will be firms that get on the, get on the boat and, and build their own configurators and their own generators. Um, and they will brand those things. And, you know, when you're working in test fit or developers in test fit, they can choose to use ABC architects generator or the generic test fit generator. Uh, and there'll be ways to monetize, you know, in our system, you know, in the long haul, like I'm, I'm, I'm saying like five years down the road, you know, this isn't like next week, this is a long way off is getting, getting the individual firms to, to start thinking about, you know, what would it be to actually embed our expertise into an algorithm and, and see it show up? Another example would be like TestFit generates a lot of apartment buildings, but we don't do any unit plans. Uh, there are a slew of computational designers out there that generate unit plans. Um, it would be very easy for us to connect with those people via like an API uh, to, to demonstrate like what is the actual power of, you know, a configurator with nested configurators inside it. And so really what we're doing is like, we're just providing the initial structure, uh, for like what this future ecosystem looks like and works and how it works, uh, to be a model for how other people can come in and and plug in their stuff. Uh, but you have to have a business problem that you're trying to solve. Like, I can't stress that enough. We're not just simple, like computational designers that do something because it's possible to do something. We do it because we are creating value for very specific teams down the road. That's exactly right. And I think that's the most important part. And we have those conversations with a multitude of people about there has to be a business case behind every action you do and every problem you're trying to solve. Don't try and solve the problem that doesn't exist. And, uh, you know, it's good to see that we're on the same page there. We realise that and and architects realize, need to realise, I think, that they just need to adapt and become find ways in which they can generate greater value rather than focusing on uh, placing corner guards, for example. Yeah. Well, architects think of themselves sometimes as an expense to the project. And I, like, I, I don't, I can't stress how much like that's a wrong way to, to look at yourself and to like, you are a value and an asset to any project that you touch. Like you're not a cost. So, you know, maybe having an intern place wall guards is kind of a cost. Like you have to do it, but the decision-making and the high level of creativity, you know, that an architect brings to the process helps to build the vision and tell the story. 
it's not just about the building. Like there is a whole lot more to the process that, that architects can do um, if they would just be willing to, to dive in and, and, and be a part of it. Yeah, that's exactly right. But um, Clifton, mate, thank you very much for your time today. And uh, I have one final question for you. And it's one that sure. I ask every single one of my guests, mate. What does BIM mean to you? And I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, uh, what does BIM mean to me? Uh, it is a logic ecosystem that I can query to do highly detailed drawings. Uh, I don't think of BIM as a authoring tool. I don't think of BIM as a, as a great technology even. It is simply a logical system that enables machines to communicate what buildings are. I love it. I love how uh, it, I can tell that you're in, uh, the, the founder of TestFit now based upon that response. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the it's all about um the computers and how they communicate and talk to one another. I love it. But um thanks. Uh, the, the the future the future of BIM is an API, man. It's yeah. uh you know, nobody wants to work in a BIM model. It's too heavy. You know, I'd rather just see a diagram of of all this stuff. Um just, you know, CAD is is excellent because it has it's a complete abstraction of what the thing is, and you can get away with doing communicating a lot with a lot like communicating a lot with a little bit of effort right bim it's like i gotta communicate a lot with a lot of effort so you know i i think of it as more valuable if i can if i can generate a bim model you know so that other people can do queries on it as opposed to i want to author this thing manually because that's insane it certainly is but mate thank you very much for once again for your time um, sure. for, for more information on Clifton and TestFit, please head over to the podcast section on the SKID website for further reading. I look forward to sharing our next podcast with you in a fortnight's time. Until then, good luck with your digital transition. Digital transition.